This is Why Libertarian, the show dedicated to telling the stories of libertarians new and old, promoting libertarian values, and fighting against authoritarians, statists, feds, and anyone else who would like to steal your liberty and freedom. I am Matthew Strzok, and I would like to thank you for tuning in to this episode. Enjoy. Welcome, Liberty Lovers. This is Matthew Struck with Why Libertarian coming at you a night early this week. We have a little bit of a conflict tomorrow night, but it is Monday at five. Normally, you see us Tuesday at five. Uh, tonight, we have a fantastic episode, uh, something that I had the pleasure of taking part in over the weekend. And we have a special guest with us before we get rolling on that. A little bit of uh, business here. Please, if you're watching the live stream, like, comment, subscribe, and share retweet, hit the notification bell. We do take live comments and questions. So if you've got something to say or something to share with us or our guest, please do that. And so without further ado, I have Sarah Rossi with me from Young Americans for Liberty. Long time no see, Sarah. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> uh, so now, uh, before we kind of get into like Young Americans for Liberty and, and everything like that, um, what kind of brought you to like the Liberty and Libertarian movement? Well, originally, when I first started becoming active in politics, I was in a podcast, and I knew several libertarians within that podcast kind of introduced me to libertarianism. And with what is happening, what with what has been happening in New Jersey with like the lockdowns and excessive restrictions, I began to realize how this is so wrong and tyrannical, and how everything around me has been changing so rapidly. And that's how I realized maybe I was a libertarian all along. So. I began reading about libertarianism and I began like watching a lot of like libertarians like talk um, on YouTube, such as Ron Paul and Rand Paul and Thomas Massey. And also, I believe it was Justin Amash who actually brought me to a liberty movement because he always called out the two party system for always doing very corrupt things. And he's right in a way because it has lost its way, like Congress has lost its way. And in order to bring change, libertarians and like everybody in like the bottom left two quadrants have to work together in order to bring that change. So yeah, that's why I came. I love, I love that. I love that. And so you would consider yourself what millennial Gen Z or is, is that kind of like a dividing line you even put on yourself? What would you consider yourself? Honestly, I was just born in 2000. So whatever that is, I guess it's Gen Z. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's awesome. So you're you're young and involved in the in the movement. I, I love that. Um, how did you get involved in Young Americans for Liberty? So I actually um, so some guy named Gabe um, Vino, he found me on like social media and he asked me, hey, do you want to join Rutgers? Yeah. And mm -hmm. which is one of my chapters right now because I'm the state chair in New Jersey. So I was like, sure. So I came into one meeting and the guys were just, you know, bonding and having bro time and i realized wow this is the type of vibe i want to like be a part of and i then found myself having so much in common with like the people around me even if yeah. it was remotely like online and i started that's how i actually became involved in yale and then it wasn't until the former new jersey state chair who, whose name's akshay aurora he um was stepping down who's looking for a successor and he asked me and i mm. decided to like step up Awesome. Awesome. So uh, before we get into kind of like the broader sense of what YAL is and, and 
the Leadership Academy that we took part in over the weekend. Um, there's like this kind of broader question, I guess, maybe recently that's being talked about in terms of like just women within the liberty and the libertarian movement. I mean, as as a woman within the libertarian movement or the liberty movement, like what's that experience like for you? Honestly, as of right now, it's a pretty positive experience. However, I see a lot of women that are being insulted online via social media for just saying the silliest type of things. And including me, like I have been like criticized for saying a bunch of things that are against the ordinary. Like, mm. and typically if you're not the typical libertarian that people want you to be, especially mm. if you're a woman, you will be called out for it and you will be mocked for it. And I believe that a lot, not only in the liberty movement, but in conservative politics, like there are a lot of men that doubt our credentials when women are actually kicking ass. Like mm -hmm. my first month in as a state chair, we at Yao, we usually have something called state chair of the month. Literally, there is um, the entire country is divided into eight regions. Well, mm -hmm. actually, eight different sections and six out of eight of those regions, like six girls became state chair of the month, including me. And there's only two guys. And that's when the females dominated the liberty movement. And we showed them that we could kick ass. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, I like to hear that. I, I've definitely, again, you know, I, I can't walk a mile in those shoes, um, but I've definitely <laughs> heard <laughs> some of those, uh, you know, diverse opinions of like, you know, um, it's empowering. Right. But at the same time, there are some haters that are out there that are, um, you know, they're, they're the very gung-ho kind of, like you said, libertarians and, and liberty types, most of them male. Um, and like, if you don't liberty hard enough, you're not one of us, like one of those things. Um, yeah, I can definitely see that that's, that's problematic or, or, or at the very least, we're kind of like missing an opportunity there where, uh, you know, there's a big cross-section of a, a lot of liberty-minded women that I think would find their way to, you know, kind of our neck of the woods if we were a little bit more, not necessarily accommodating, but just... You know, we, we can be a wolf pack sometimes and, and we, jump on each other. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, one more thing. Like, if we, I actually agree with that. If we were less of a wolf pack and more welcoming, like how how we're at, like with Yao, mm -hmm. I feel like more women would be getting more active and more like open in the liberty movement. Because mm -hmm. what we need to do is spread a positive like hemisphere and an atmosphere around like libertarian politics in general. Because if you take a look at the past. In 2008, it was basically like Ron Paul. It was all male figures in the liberty movement, right. which turned into be present day Justin Amash, who is far down. And then there is Rand Paul, who's like in the middle, who's like in the Republican Party. Like yep. you have so many men who are figures in the liberty movement, but there's very little women. And it has proven to me that that liberty women are, are truly the backbone of the liberty movement. I, I got to be honest, too. Um, this is going to be a little bit of a hot take, and I would love to hear your your opinion on it. Yeah, a lot, a lot of men, I think they this there's got to be something like evolutionarily or like genetically that's kind of like a part of this. There's a lot of men where they would rather kind of like beat their chest so that they don't have to fight, whereas women will like lay in wait quietly and then like all of a sudden jump on you and rip your face off. Right. Yeah. Um, which, which I think we need because there's a ton of, you know, libertarian or Liberty dudes out there that are like beating their chest. And then the question is, all right, well, when it comes down to it, are you grinding it out? Are you going door to door? Are you, you know, phone banking and stuff like that? I definitely see 
the women probably being more successful or at least leading the way when it comes to that. Because you, also, if you live a life where you're being basically considered the underdog or, or people are skeptical of you all along, I think that lends its weight to like when you rise to the top, it's because you're kicking people's ass. It's not because like you just happen to luck out, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I forget what comedian it was, but there was a comedian that talked about like the difference between like boys and girls in high school and how like boy fights are all like a bunch of like shoving and just kind of like posturing and stuff. But like girl fights when they happen are just like vicious. Like <laughs> they, they don't pull any punches. <laughs> oh yes, definitely. And I won't lie to you. The women are very vicious as well. Like people shouldn't be doubting our, like what are our abilities or like what we're capable of because we can fight back twice as harder. We're just not so upfront about it. And yeah. it could just be like, well, like what you said, like an evolutionary thing, but but take a look at it like the like the House of Representatives has doubled their numbers in members uh, in Republican women A Republican mm -hmm. woman rocked the House this election cycle. So yeah. it is the year of not only for conservative women, but liberty women too. like Nancy Mace, Lauren, Bo Lauren Boebert and Sally Kim Klesik, who did lose her race, but she left an impactful like like inspiration amongst a lot of women. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. So uh, I, I love that. And I definitely agree with you. I think there's like there's a ton of, you know, um, women that were elected this election cycle to, to the legislature specifically. And what I liked about it, not now, not all of them would consider themselves libertarians, but I think they were very at the very least libertarian leaning women, which, again, like I really don't care if you're a man or a woman, if you're you end up in, in Congress, you know, um, the, the big meter stick is if you stand for liberty and you stand for libertarianism. Um, so, but I think that's really reassuring. So in that context, how does Yale, YAL, Young Americans for Liberty kind of like fit into this overarching, you know, liberty movement that's happening right now? So what we do is that, well, we're, we're like an entire type of house with multiple steps. So on the top, we have Yale National on and basically within like the middle and to the top, we have our state chairs, our state chairs. Well, my job is to also um, educate people about the principles of liberty and um, and also freedom within college campuses and in the community. And what we do is that we find members, we educate them and show them the and show them the light of the liberty movement. And we also empower liberty movement movement on college campuses by holding free speech events and um tabling and we also hold events in small little get-togethers in order to in order to like bring bring them towards the liberty movement and what what we also do at yale is that we also have operation win at the door so that is a um a campaign strategy in order to hire election coordinators who are these people usually college students to knock doors for candidates and we help knock doors and we go door to door and have face to face conversations with with just local people anywhere in the United States of America in order to like educate them about our candidates and how they stand for how they stand for state principles and how they also stand for libertarian or libertarian like principles as well. And therefore, like we do end up getting a lot of these candidates elected into um, state houses. And we have seen a great, like, we have, I think we're already at like 179, like, um, 
what's it called? 179 people that are elected to office this year. Yeah, I'm actually going to, uh, there's so much to unpack there. I'm actually going to uh, pull up, let's see, this is the, this is the, the YAL homepage with the um, candidates so far that have been listed as winners. And I guess we're waiting for maybe final confirmations on these races. So this yeah. number needs to be updated. 56 is way low. I think at last count, it was like something crazy, like what, 170 or something? Yes. I, I think it's like up there, right? So, uh, and and if you notice, it's very heavy in terms of like, it's only the midsection of the state east. So there's definitely a ton that needs to be filled in here. But yeah, I, I think the the... The take-home message that I got, and we'll get into the leadership training too, but the take-home message I really got from Yao was an extremely kind of like grassroots, gr like ground-up movement that is like grinded out, like no front running, no kind of like grandstanding. It was literally kind of the meat and potatoes, like what needs to be done in order to win these races. Um, and it's a lot of youth, like in the leadership conference, uh, in the, in the leadership candidate, um, training, I, I felt like one of the old fuddy duddies. Cause I was like, I'm 39 and like everyone else around me is like, you know, 20 or, or early thirties at, at oldest, you know? Um, but yeah, that's, that's really what the, the take I got from it. And, and it really is that kind of like that grassroots, like just really from the, the square, you know, the ground up. Uh, kind of organization to help get liberty-minded candidates, not just to, I mean, Yale doesn't get candidates to run. They help them by giving them resources and stuff. But Yale is like the cavalry, right? So like you have to prove that you're doing well as far as the race that you're running and then you have a winnable race. And then Yale comes in and just kind of like throws gasoline on the fire. Is that the way you would say it? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. We also, so, go ahead. Um, I'm sorry. So we also like right now because everything's remote right now and yep. I have community chapters. So my three main college campuses are right now Rutgers University, New Brunswick, Montclair State University and Stevens, Stevens Institute of Technology. Awesome. And so uh, in terms of your involvement at the college level, it sounds like it's one is educational, right? Like just kind of communicating what liberty and libertarianism is to these kids, right? Um, and then two is trying to source um, from that group that you're educating, you know, the the most dedicated to come in and be a part of this, you know, like, I guess I'll call them a brig brigade, right? Like that, that ends up, you know, responding in these races that need that kind of manpower. Is that what you would say is, is the case? Yes. Awesome. I, what's, it, what's like your biggest... Let me put it this way. What's like your biggest like, you know, headwind that you have to face when you're you're working in that environment? Like what do you come up against the mo most often or what's the hardest thing that you have to overcome? Hardest thing I have to overcome is breaking through the ice because as as I mentioned before, like I stepped up to take this position and now I'm still fairly new to it. So I have to break the ice and like get to know everybody in this network. So that's also kind of hard. I mean, I'm doing good at it, but I'm yeah. not perfect yet. Um, and also like the biggest um, obstacle is dealing with these like, like remote situations where, okay, we cannot hold that many events right now because we're severely limited, but like, it's also hard to keep my members active. So we have to come up with a bunch of events and keep them active. So those are the biggest roadblocks right now. I What do those events look like? Is it just like 
pizza <laughs> and like, you know, or, or is there something kind of more inventive that goes with them? No. So we invite, um, we invite speakers from Mises and we also like hear them talk, tell, tell, well, we also let them tell them, tell us our, their backstories. And we also like take notes and we also ask them questions. We also, um, we also meet up and we also do events. Um, actually, yesterday with my Rockfish chapter, we held an event called Operation Helping Hand, which is what we're doing at Yale, actually. It's to, um, it's to actually get donations and get people to donate for the homeless people during the month of December. And so we take these donations and we donate to homeless shelters around the country. And that's what everybody has been doing. So I recently did that with my Rutgers chapter and it was successful. So there's ways around it, but like, we also do like events like games and we also do events like meme, like I'm trying to think meme tournaments where we all battle out like who has the best and whoever wins that tournament wins a $10 card. (laughs) That's awesome. What's the, there's a game like that, right? Is it like memes against humanity or something like that or parts against humanity we also do that too we do a yeah. Among Us and parts of humanity. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i you know one thing i've been thinking about is like i i play video games i'm like i'm like an i'm i'm older but i'm also nerdy at the same time so uh <laughs> like there's a big deal of like aoc live streams on twitch playing among us and like I, I, I play Hermitcraft with my kid, with my son. So like I watch some of the YouTubers that do like Hermitcraft stuff, like Minecraft stuff. Um, but so uh, my thought was we need like a bunch of like liberty, liberty and libertarian people doing like live streams of Among Us. Um, but like in the in-between time, just like being, being, being true liberty and libertarians. Like, let me just put it that way. Like, you know, uh, as opposed to calling someone suspect, be like, I think he's the Fed. Like he's the Fed. Like, <laughs> you know, um, I definitely got to figure out how to put that together. If if anyone thinks that would be interesting, if you end up watching this, if you're live, or or if you or if you end up watching this after the fact, and you think that would be interesting, or if you're interested in taking part, I will find a way to live stream on Twitch if you want to do that. So honestly, uh, I think I might have a few people who will be down to do that, but we'll see. <laughs> let's let's make it happen. I want to be the imposter and just and just kill some folks. I mean, like you know. Um, but so anyway, <laughs> bloodlust aside. Um, all right, so cool. So I think everyone kind of has an idea of of Yao in terms of like the the college presence. Um, Yao also has this awesome piece to it. I think it's called is it called the Leadership Institute? Li. Yes. Okay. And what does the Leadership Institute really kind of focus itself on? Um, okay. So the Leadership Institute focuses heavily on conservative, like young conservative people who are um, in the conservative movement and help strengthen, like helps cultivate new leaders in the conservative movement. So okay. what they do is that they help find these leaders. They help find us the list that we need in order to uh find new members such as conservatives because Yale is actually a nonpartisan organization, which means we are not primarily libertarian, but we are open to like conservatives or liberals. Like I know a few of my co-state chairs actually have Bernie bros in their (laughs) networks. So it's actually really funny. So we leadership Institute helps us cultivate new leaders in, um, in Yale. And they also have internships for our students. And they also like help us like find people who are who are capable of becoming the next leaders. So I think that's awesome. That's like uh, w- what I love about it is 
there's like this ecosystem that Yal has built. That's like they they try and help give at least the resources and cultivate the candidates that they would eventually want to support, right? Um, and and just full disclosure, like Yal is not running campaigns. That's not their goal, right? Yal is trying to find the campaigns that um, you know are, are behind candidates that are are really in the the libertarian or liberty um, mindset and and driven by those kind of principles and they're trying to put them over the top they're trying to get them to the finish line and get them to win those races and the 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 leadership institute put on this this leadership i'm just gonna share the the, sh the screen share of kind of like the publicity here for it but um you know both sarah and i went to uh, this event, the the uh, leadership candidate, uh, I believe it's leadership candidate academy. Is that what LCA stands for? No, Liberty Candidate Academy. <laughs> Liber Liberty Candidate Academy. Um, we went to at Newark um, this this past weekend, and the the like you said, it was it wasn't like they were checking you know your voter registration or your party registration at the door, right? It's a matter of you fill out the application. And if you legitimately believe in, you know, liberty minded principles, they're going to let you in because they want to get you somewhere into this ecosystem, either running or helping campaigns get to the point where Yal can get involved and get them over the finish line. What was your big takeaway? Was this the first LCA that you had uh, taken part in or had you have you done one in the past? This is actually the first LCA I've ever bid to. And I was honestly impressed. Awesome. I, what, uh, so what really kind of like pushed you to go? Was it just like you had intended to go all along and weren't able to make it? I mean, it was extremely convenient for me. It took me like 25 minutes to get into Newark and go to this thing. <laughs> well, I actually live 45 minutes away from Newark. I live in like Freehold. And honestly, I was really motivated to go like this. I actually found out about this event when I was like in the process of becoming the state chair. And I was mm -hmm. like, well, I really care about this state and I really want to get like a liberty leaning like person elected in 2021 especially in state assembly so I decided to go not only but to like help find like people who are willing to run in our state and also that also I can learn because in the future maybe I want to run for office so I do want to take a, so I do want to take a few like strategies away from this academy and put it into my own notes and learn from it yeah I, I would, this was, so full disclosure, I work in an industry where like I, I do risk management for public sector accounts, right? Municipalities, school districts. So I, I kind of live in the political world, but at the same time, I've never run for office. So I don't know what the campaign side is. I know what the, I know what the governance side looks like of being an elected official um, because I'm, I'm typically helping them out or their appointees out in terms of trying to, you know, risk manage the actual operations that they're tasked with um, heading up or, or at least overseeing. And the, 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 it was 12 and a half hours of just intense, like you do this, then you do this, then you do this. And the one thing that I noticed is if you haven't gone through this kind of training, you think you can just sit back and like be charismatic and take a couple of publicity shots and end up winning an election. It is the complete antithesis to that. It is like you have to make this, you have to eat, sleep and breathe it 
for however long you're running, 6, 12, 18 months, right? And even then you might not win, right? Like even then you still could lose by like 20 or 30 votes. Um, but that was really the take home because I think so many times and, and, um, you, you know, Mag, is it Maggie Anders? I'm saying her yeah. last name, right? Maggie okay. Anders. So she was just on Todd, Todd Hagopian's, um, podcast, uh, chief chats, right? Yeah. And she alluded to something similar as well. Like a lot of libertarian campaigns are just not good campaigns. Like they're just, and it's not the principles, it's not the talking points. It's just strategically how they're run are either lazy or completely haphazard. This was this this was like literally boot camp. Like 18 steps. If you follow the roadmap, you're probably going to be more successful than not. Um were you expecting that? Like having been part of the YAL community before, were you expecting that level of like specific specificity and just kind of structure that came out of it? No, I was not. And that's <laughs> actually really impressed me because I do know, like there's a reason why I'm not indirectly like involved with the LP for this reason, because the LP isn't, to be honest, the LP isn't serious about running their candidates. Their strategy is just, in my opinion, not beneficial at all because their candidates are lazy and it's not a matter of picking better candidates it's about it's about reforming your campaign strategies and it's about reforming and taking in these steps that justin maloney presented he's a great yep. man by the way he honestly presented these 18 steps in one day and they don't even take time to do that what they do is that they're like okay you take a publicity shot okay you just have to look like you just have to call it the two-party system and look good and libertarians will love you. That's not how you run a campaign. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, like, it's yeah. go ahead. I cut you off. It's okay. So like, if you are serious about running, if you are serious about getting people elected, it's not only dependent on the candidate, it's dependent on the entire team and the resources you put in. It's yeah. about knocking doors, phone banking, volunteering, putting in every single ounce of effort in order to get these people into office. Yeah. No, I, I, sh I share your, I, I share your impression, um, from the inside out. Right. So I've seen a lot of those campaigns be run by people that, so in, in this episode of chief shots that, that Maggie was a part of, they talked about, or, or even in earlier ones, they talked about like, you know, the nature of libertarian campaigns and how a lot of them are just kind of like running someone so that there's someone in the slot right? Um, so that the party gets some kind of like name recognition or something. Uh, Yal really kind of hammered home that even in the, the, the campaigns that they get involved in, they're seriously vetting, like just because you run doesn't mean they're going to support you. They're seriously vetting the campaigns. You are seriously vetting the campaigns that have an actual shot of winning, right? Um, and, and that's, that's the thing. It's like, you can't just run someone to run someone like there legitimately has to be a litmus test. I mean, in some cases, it's OK to kind of like, you know, stuff the stuff the ballot and make sure that you have people uh, at, in each one of those positions. But truthfully, when it comes to like resources and, and how you kind of deploy your resources, it needs to be to like like people that are like ride or die, like gamers, like they are in it. They're going to knock doors until their freaking feet bleed. Like that's the people that you need to be running. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think the libertarian party for the most part, they believe the ideals are enough and that's just not true. It's like, there's a marketing component to it. 
there's a sweat equity and, and blood equity component to it. Um, and there's also a strategic component to it, right? Like, so um, I, I, I got, I got so much out of this training that I can't even begin to describe it, but um, you know, have you been involved in any specific campaigns? I know that, you know, you're, you're based, based in New Jersey. So um, have there been any campaigns that you've gotten involved in yet, or has it been mostly kind of like on the recruitment and education side that you're working on? No, as of right now, I am working on the recruitment and education side because like as of right now, we I'm still waiting on like what type of candidates we are electing into mm-hmm. August in 2021. And then I'll go from there. But as of right now, I'm on the educational and like and like the leadership type of side of the liberty movement because the whole point is that there are two different sides. There's okay, there's people who are getting these candidates elected. And there's also people tend to forget about the side of educating libertarianism. And I feel as if that is incredibly important too, because how are you going to build a movement when you're not finding libertarians and educating them or liberty minded people and educating them on the, on like the purpose of liberty and, and limited government? Yeah, no, that that's a fantastic point. The candidates can't be the ones educating people. They just yeah. can't. They they have to pe- they have to be the people that are connecting the dots, right? Like they have to be the people that that take that educational piece and connect it to the emotional or the the practical application piece to let people understand what you know the the past looked like and what the future will look like if you decide to like you know jump into this pool. Um, and so I I appreciate that fully. Like that that educational piece is. It's so crucial and it's not going to happen by, you know, a snarky comment on Twitter. It's just, it no. isn't, you're, you're not going to like, you're not going to win very many votes getting into like a, a tiff on Twitter. You can, you can make a name for yourself. I mean, you can, you can get some attention by doing that. Uh, but I don't think you're going to win very many votes from that standpoint, but um what were some of your other takeaways from, I mean, could be strategic takeaways from the training or just kind of like, you know, general, you know, networking or, you know, what else did you walk away with? Um, most importantly, understanding certain demographics within your state. So like you have to understand and you have to look at the patterns of past elections mm-hmm. and your neighboring districts, because one district could be di- completely different from the others. You have to be careful on how the voting strategy works within the two districts. And you have to look like at up, you have to look at past and up and down ballot elections. You yeah. have to look at every little thing. And what I really took away is that you have to recruit people to volunteer mm. for these campaigns because how can these campaigns function without volunteers? And that's yeah. really important. And Yao presses on that a lot because like we have to push our own staff to go and well, yeah, we have to push our own staff to go and work on these campaigns to make Liberty win as well. And the only way we can get volunteers is A, by educating, which is the job of the state chairs is that, yes, we educate, but we also help recruit these people to work on campaigns. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that was a huge takeaway. It was, you know, you have to be really strategic, not in just how you run a campaign, but whether you run at all. Right. So like picking the opportunity, you have to be able to gauge whether or not an opportunity is actually something that's winnable. You know, I, I think all too often, like, you know, you know, dyed in the wool libertarians are thinking that the principles alone will carry them to victory. That's not the case. Like people are fickle, like as, as good of a case as you make 
a lot of them are just going to vote Republican or Democrat because that's what they identify is as right. Um, there is a, literally a, a targetable group of people that you can win their votes. And then there's other people where if you try and win their votes, you're basically spinning your wheels. You're just wasting their time, your time. Right. Um, and sometimes an entire district is made up of those people. So you can't <laughs> run that race and win. Right. Um, I think the other piece was the the data centric piece of it was fantastic. I, I loved that discussion, um, which is actually something that came out of, if, I, if I'm not wrong, like Obama's campaign runs really specifically in terms of the way that they used voter data um, and data analytics when it came to canvassing. Is there anything that kind of like popped out to you from from that discussion? Well, you can see that Obama actually won a lot within districts that were highly blue and highly very liberal. And then you can see that he lost in districts that are actually red leaning and, you know, Republican or rural, like you know, like rural like um, backgrounds. So yeah. you can see that voters prefer their candidates based on what district they belong to, because it, it all depends on your surroundings and the people that you surround yourself with. That's what creates your entire political philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's really important. I what what I also find interesting was the the data analytics gives you insight into like where to spend your time. Right. So you can't just take the entire district and, you know, every single registered voter and then try and knock on their door. You're going to you're going to waste at least 40 percent of your time. Right. Um, but I, I think it's also interesting that uh, there's there's a subset of that population that if you hardcore like dedicate your time to try and reach them and, and really be um, kind of like in front of them, just name recognition alone gets you pretty far down the line. Um, I forget who the candidate's name was who won in can in, in, in Connecticut. She's, she was fantastic. Um, shoot. I can't remember her name, but so she came to the training. Right. Um, and she basically told the story about how like a lot of the people that she talked to, whether or not they were potential voters or even just the delegates for getting like the party's nomination, <laughs> the, 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 the laziness of the incumbent, of not even talking to the delegates, like the assumed nomination that they were going to get from being just, you know, putting that R next to their name was was pretty interesting. Um, what did you kind of take away from, you know, her her story as far as, you know, her campaign and how she won? Well, her story was extremely interesting because she is a mother of four and mm. she is conservative and she ran actually primarily on the issue of taxation. And within the Northeast, taxes are extremely high. It is ultimately theft. And the issue is if you run on that and Republicans say that, they're going to be like, oh, my God, I love you. Well, if they're not rhinos, of course. But anyway, so you run on the issue of taxation and the press for low taxes. Republicans will immediately look at you and be like, whoa, she is amazing. And then, but the problem is they're going to forget about you when they see a long-term incumbent still in office that's also running but not doing anything. So they're, they're going to be like, oh, do I vote for this new lady or do I stick to somebody who I'm more comfortable with, who I know and who my family knows? Yeah. But the entire, the data determines on how well a candidate can perform, not only by how they run their campaign or how much money is being placed in their campaign, but if the candidate, like he or she, like, yeah, who like whoever the candidate is gets out and talks to these voters face to face and and just has a casual conversation with them because like 
even if you look at like the election in 2020, like the national election, like you see like Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. Honestly, Biden was more charismatic than Donald Trump ever was. <laughs> and that is the fact. Like, yeah, he was nice. Like, yeah, Biden I, was I would, nice. I would call him, I would call him more approachable, right? Like he was yes. more approachable. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Trump was this very much kind of like, you know, if if you're not with me, you're against me kind of, you know, kind of person. Yes. Yeah, you I would agree with that. you. You, yeah. I don't think that's the best approach to ever have when you're trying to win an election. That's how you lose because a lot of these people are normal. They don't care about politics. They don't look into policies. They look at it at you as like an inspiration and a hero. So if you don't have a good impersonation off the top, then you're practically like, I don't know, you practically lose your chances. And so, yeah. what she did was amazing. She got into their face and she talked to them. And had a normal conversation, went door to door. Yeah. So have you ever heard the phrase that politics is basically a beauty pageant for ugly people? Have you ever heard about that? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I that that's always what comes to mind when it comes to like someone talking about like agreeableness or like how they present themselves and things like that. Libertarians don't want to come off as like false, right? Like or or fake. They they want to come out like hardcore. These are the principles. But I think you can take a note from Ron Paul, which, by the way, so one thing that really came to mind was you you mentioned it. Yao loves hunting rhinos, okay? And they love hunting rhinos in primaries, all right? So if, if you are someone who professed to be a supporter of liberty, and once you got into office, you decided to just, like, tuck tail and run over to the other side because, like, it was easier or they promised you something, Um you know, Yal is supporting the candidates that are going to primary you, not not necessarily just you know, kind of take you on in the general. the The other thing to find I found interesting was, regardless of the people in the room, whether they identified as libertarian, conservative, you know, libertarian, conservative, whatever they called themselves, most of them would have said like, you know, Ron Paul was an absolutely fantastic candidate, and Ron Paul was not uh, a, a libertarian type candidate that was sitting there and was like all fire and brimstone, right? Like, and he also wasn't sitting there trying to uh, run a college level seminar on libertarianism. He got agitated when he needed to strategically, but the majority of the time he was, he was well-dressed. He was, uh, you know, open-minded. He was well-spoken. Like all of those things are extremely important. You can't just take libertarian ideals or principles and think that they are going to sell you. Like you have to be the messenger. And I think that's something that I took away from that. It was like, there is a component there where it's like, you have to be a good steward of those principles. You know, I love the fact that you said that some of your events are kind of like, you know, giving back charitably or to the community, because a lot of folks that are within the libertarian world will say, well, yeah, well, charity will take care of it or nonprofits will take care of it. Um, and then you're like, OK, well, you know, what soup kitchen have you worked at or, you know, what organizations have you donated to or have you like volunteered for? And they're like stuck for an answer. Right. Um, you have to live it like you have to, you know, uh, 
the the key is don't be fake. Like if you're getting in it just to get votes, you're doing something just to get votes. And and this was in the training. This was also very telltale. If you're going to become part of an organization because you think it's going to win you votes, and then the moment you lose the election, you leave the organization, you weren't in it for the right reasons. Like you should not have done that in the first place. You're basically pandering. You're no better than all the rest of the politicians that we basically, you know, put up on the dartboard and throw darts at. But, um, but yeah, that that was really telling. I, I think it was really important to talk about kind of like how candidates present themselves. Um, you know, libertarians typically score very low on agreeableness, right? But um, there needs to be an agreeable, approachable nature to you, at least in some facets for you to be, you know, a, a feasible candidate. Um, and she, and, and that candidate from, from Connecticut, she had it. She was extremely well-spoken, um, poised. She was measured when she said her words. Uh, and at the same time, she was not like, you know, beating you over a head with, with, you know, you know, Liberty principle stick to say like, you know, this is what you should do. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure she has well-adjusted kids because <laughs> that just came across extremely well. Um, what did you get a sense of the group? Like, you know, in terms of like the, the collection of people that were there, what, what was your impression of the, the folks that showed up? The folks were actually extremely determined and they were actually very attentive and very like, not even, I mean, not always would be pro Liberty, but like pro, like bringing change within the Liberty movement and conservative, like, mm -hmm. yes, not everybody might be a libertarian, but they all believe in one thing and that is to bring change to the system. And that is the way of like bringing change via right-wing politics. And so these people, they seem so determined to either take away something from this Canada Academy and use it towards future campaigns. And they were also very like, um, what's it called? They were very, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I'm sorry, brain fart. They were also right. very, Talk around, yeah. around it, give me synonyms. I'll, I'll get you there. <laughs> <laughs> no they were actually very determined in order to um win that's why they were there and in order for them to have a successful campaign they have to take these 18 steps and put it into their own strategic ways and if they are actually truly like um committed to running and winning an election they sh they will send back this their application to justin maloney and we will help them get there yeah and and i Full, full, uh, full respect. Justin ran uh, a fantastic, you know, I mean, just think about it. Anyone, anytime you get a bunch of people in a room for like 12 and a half hours, um, <laughs> it's like, you know, three hours in, everyone's like, man, is this over yet? It, it wasn't like that, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, aside from his taste in very bad pizza because he was in New Jersey and he fed us Papa John's. Justin, what the, you know, anyway, but um, <laughs> the, the, the overall program was absolutely fantastic. And I agree with you the the people in the room, they were not like, if you talk to anyone in there, you were probably aligned with 99% of what they were talking about. The other 1%, even if you disagreed with them, they were open to discussion and, and they wanted to talk about it and, and kind of like work through their position versus your position. It was extremely positive. Um, not to mention the fact that I, I, I have to give it up to the other, um, leadership Institute representatives that were there, uh, a num like a couple of them. I was like, why are you not running for office? Because, you know, the, the way they presented themselves and just 
how they communicated what needs to be successful, not to mention their past experience with being involved with campaigns themselves. Like they know, they know the special sauce, but what's beautiful is they're using their skills and their experience and their talent to not just win one race for themselves. They're doing it to legitimately win what we're up to 170 plus races at state house level, you know, uh, races this election cycle, which is unbelievable. Um, so yeah, big, big, like props to Justin. He, he put together a fantastic, you know, event and, and program and, and, and kind of thing. Um, what, where's your future lie? What do what do you, uh, what are you ultimately looking to do? Is it, is it run for elected office or is it kind of move up the ranks in terms of the, you know, the, the YAL, uh, hierarchy there? I actually am a college student, so I, um, I'm a political science major at um, Rutgers University right now. And so I am planning on finishing my degree with a minor in economics, and I plan on actually um, becoming an attorney, preferably okay. in real estate or like prosecution. But I also want to work heavily in politics. So honestly, I'm not sure, but like maybe one day I will like hope to like, you know, run for office one day and get elected, usually within um, state politics, because I'm more concerned about New Jersey than I am about the overall country. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something that's really <laughs> tough. Like New yeah. Jersey, I mean, it, it is completely valid to call New Jersey the Soviet socialist state of, of New Jersey, because the 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 Republicans here aren't even really Republicans. And, and granted, that's that is a very wide sweeping stereotype. But <laughs> Um, you know, the, the handful that are truly like Liberty minded, um, I, I can, I can literally name probably on one hand that I've met, like, you know, um, and with probably with one or two fingers left over, but the, 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 the question is always like, do I leave or do I stay and I fight the fight? Right. That room at that training was filled with people, regardless of what state they were from that are legitimately looking to fight the fight. Right. And a lot of them, because it was in Newark, they were from Northeastern. Um, this is a new phrase I'm using after. I don't know if you heard Shane Hazel's uh, episode of Radical, um, this most recent one. But the idea of champagne socialist, um, <laughs> there's a lot of champagne socialists in the Northeast right now. Um, I'm going to use that phrase as much as I can um, from here on out. But there's a lot of people in that room that are, are legitimately the stay and fight type which I appreciate. Like, it's so easy to just kind of like cut bait and be like, you know what? New Jersey's a lost cause. New York's a lost cause. Connecticut's a lost cause. Let's just go somewhere like New Hampshire or Texas or somewhere like that, Tennessee, um, and just try and make that as liberty-minded as possible. But there were fighters in the room. I I, I appreciate that. Um, and, and they definitely there was definitely a motivation there that you could like, you could sense it was like palpable. Um, but yeah. no, I, I can appreciate that. Like get your professional ducks in a row, I would say. And then once you have kind of like that foundation to build off of, like then go from there. I, I think the, what's really interesting is have, have you ever looked at this? So like a lot of people look back at Lincoln, right? We've been talking about black lives matter and, and kind of like the racial equity and, and equality conversation within the country. Like Lincoln was a school teacher, right? Was he a school teacher or an attorney? I thought he was a school teacher. I'm not sure. I think he was. Yeah, but, I could but be I, wrong. <laughs> I, I think the take home was he was not a career politician, right? Like 
that's something that's completely different today than, you know, even 150 years ago was, you know, the majority of politicians got into this as kind of like their second life, you know? Now there's so many people that are just like, you know what? I'm getting into politics. And you're like, you're freaking 15 years old. Like, what are you talking about? You know, like, it's like they want to get into it as their first, like, career. Um, and that really kind of gives me a moment for pause. Like, I want people like you alongside of me that have lived another life because you can actually draw upon what it's like to, uh, you know, be in a profession that's not politics and, and make a business work or, or learn how to take care of clients, right. Or learn how the judicial system works actually on the ground versus from the standpoint of a lawmaker who has never been subjected to it the same way that everyone else has. You know, I, I find that interesting real estate or prosecution. Why, why those two? So I actually, um, my father, he's a real estate broker. He's a broker okay. right now in New Jersey. So um, I actually got involved in real estate. Like he was like, why don't you just try it out? You might like it. And it's honestly an easy business. So I basically did a few, I did a few internships in his office and I actually learned by real estate. And honestly, it is real estate is like the big apple of the American dream. Like, think about it. You are giving people the right to like live in a house or like apartment and you're giving them this opportunity to live a beautiful home and raise a family. And that right. is the purpose of the American dream to work hard, to, to get a house, to live your life. And that helps with people bring them into achieving the American dream, which has unfortunately lost its way. Yeah. And we need to bring that back. And that's why I feel like real estate is the key to doing that. Wow. So I have to ask myself, like, do we go down this rabbit hole? I definitely want to go down this rabbit hole. All right. So um, I, I think we've talked enough about Yale and leadership uh, training and things like that. Definitely go to the Yale website, find out more young Americans for Liberty. I think it's what uh, YA Liberty.org. Is that the, that's the the website? Hold on. Yes. Yeah, YA <laughs> Liberty.org. Okay. So that being said aside, um, we have, as a country, for some reason, the American dream, you are completely correct. It used to be land, right? Like when, when we were moving west, it was always like the land races and land grants and things like that, okay? It was owning property. It was owning property because property was the means of production, right? Whether you put a farm there, whether you put a, a factory there, okay? It was owning hard assets. It was owning things like gold and silver so that if the currency ever like was worth nothing, you still had something of value that you could like, you know, live and subsist off of. We've done such an amazing job as a society and a culture of convincing people young and old, mostly young, that they need to like have these like worthless pieces of paper. Okay. And the easiest target is like dollar bills, right? Like fiat currency. That's the easiest mm -hmm. kind of like manifestation of it. The, the other manifestation of it is things like, you know, stock certificates in companies. Okay. And being a free market capitalist, I'm completely for investing in companies, but you have to understand that there is like a, uh, there, there is like a truth serum that you need to have on hand where when you're looking at a company, it, the, the perfect example is, and you didn't, you didn't have the, the, the benefit of living through this, but I lived through the dot-com bubble. Okay. As, as a, as an adult. All right. And 
or as a semi-adult. And I can mm -hmm. remember day trading every single day. And the companies that I was buying stock in, I knew were worthless, right? Like, and, and that was the game. It was like the, it was the sleight of hand to be like, see this, this looks absolutely amazing. You should buy a stake in it. And when you had stock in it, you're like, see, I own something. And you're like, you own nothing. That's like, that's like smoke. It's mist, right? The people who own, they own property. They own the factory. They own the minerals that go into making the, the, the metals that create the things in the factories, right? Um, that is such an interesting point. Like, you know, real estate is something that I, I would imagine, have you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? I have Robert not. Kiyosaki. Definitely read Robert Kiyosaki. Okay. Um, I don't know if he's a self-professed libertarian, but he definitely <laughs> speaks about liberty type values, at least at least when it comes to like the market and free market. But that is something we've done such a good job of. We've sold the American people on the idea that they could buy like smoke, like snake oil, and all of a sudden they have this amazing asset. And you're like, you own nothing. You have, you have you have no value for the thing that you own because it's all this kind of like assumed mystique that goes into it. Like, do you kind of get that impression? Like, are your peers that are your age, like, are they looking at things and they're like, well, you know, like I own, uh, uh, I, I, I own like, you know, whatever stock in this company or something. And you're like, you know what, if it all goes to hell, you have nothing, right? Like, do you ever get that impression? Not a single one, actually, because none of them care about stocks or economics. You are a lucky person. <laughs> <laughs> what they care about the most is socialism and like promoting these stupid socialist policies. And I'm like, oh, now I have to bite my tongue. <laughs> you are so wrong. <laughs> I, I the the one thing that I saw. So let me ask you this. So in terms of um, kind of you know younger generation. Um, the, the friends that are kind of talking about socialism, socialism, do they truthfully know what they're talking about? Like, are they educated and, and, or like, have they even read Karl Marx or is it just something that sounds really good to them? To them, it sounds like free shit. <laughs> That's literally it. Because like, if you think about it, they're like, oh, free healthcare, housing for all. And they're like, um, green new deal and free college. Free things, that's what attracts young people because, face it, nobody wants to pay, like, high tuitions. Nobody wants to pay, like, high taxes unless you're a crazy liberal. That's another rabbit hole. But anyway, <laughs> nobody wants to pay for anything, so they want free things. But they have to – they fail to, like, take into recognition and think for a second that there's multiple steps to get around with it. Right. And that is entirely, like – there are so many ways that you can like make your life more simple if the government just stays the hell out of your business. Yes. Yeah. I I, I can't I like if if I could just copy and paste one comment that I can continually like post on people's Twitter posts, it would be that. Like, we don't need this. Just stay out of the way. Right? Like just just stop trying to intervene and think that you know how to structure things better than I do, or at the very least that, you know, if I don't learn how to structure it correctly, then, you know, I need to suffer those consequences so that I actually end up learning the lesson. Um, that's, that's, I, I think that's the problem is a lot of people think that that's just a stereotype. Like a lot of people think that it's just kind of like the, 
the exception to the rule and the person who gets made an example of on social media, who's like a 20 something who's like pro socialism, but there's actually like some truth to it, which is really scary. I, I think it's really scary. Um, wh what do you say to people like that? I mean, it, is it just simply like, you know, you're wrong or is there some kind of emotional or, or kind of like story that you can tell them that conservatives and I started realizing, well, this podcast didn't happen for a reason. So I decided to listen to these people talk and wait, I started. Wait, were, were you the socialist in the conservative podcast? Is that what it was? One of them. <laughs> no, okay. All right. <laughs> There's, there was two of us. One was yeah. a libertarian socialist. That's an oxymoron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've learned better since I'm sure. <laughs> yes, I have. And like, I look back on it and I'm just like, oh my God, I was so wrong because the reason why I actually was a socialist at first was because it was just so mainstream, especially in the Northeast to believe that, okay, we need free things. We need to tax the rich because that just seems like the moral thing to do, but it really isn't. Because if you think about it, you're stealing people's personal ownings and their personal like things. And that's just wrong. That's theft, and it is wrong. It's a whole concept of morality and also a whole concept of understanding. Like, like just think about it. Name a single country in which socialism has worked. None. I, a, None. Lo a lot of people will try and say like, oh, Sweden or whatever, whatever. And you're like, their economy is less socialist than America. And, yeah. and they are floored to hear that. Floored. But yeah, no, I'm sorry. I cut you off. Go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, I began like how I changed is that I began like understanding that like, okay, there's, you should understand like the other ways around the political spectrum. So I did a lot of reading. I read a lot of pieces. I read um, a book by Rand Paul and I started really understanding the case against socialism. And I started understanding that I was wrong this entire time. And I believe it was criminal justice reform and taxation, which would pulled me towards the liberty movement. And then when I opened up my eyes and realized I was wrong, like I realized, wow, I've been a libertarian this entire time. So yeah. that's why I feel like education is so important because there's not many people like me out there who would take time to educate themselves. Sometimes you need to educate people yourself. Yeah. I Let, let me ask you this. So the, the, the nature of someone changing their their I would call it ideology um, or kind of their frame of reference, right? When it comes to politics, um, what would you say is like? There is no one conversation. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's I, unless I'm wrong. Like, there's probably no one conversation where all of a sudden you had like this aha moment. Like, all of a sudden you were like, oh wow, I'm wrong. Like, I, there's got to be a progression, but you know, that progression takes a period of time. What do you think someone on the liberty side of this discussion can do to kind of like facilitate or at the very least kind of like not alienate someone so that they don't go on that that path or, or that progression? So by path, you mean from a socialist to a libertarian? Well, yeah, or or from anything to being, you know, anything that's more kind of like authoritarian to something that's more libertarian. Okay, so I have like three steps that I did because I was able to actually get three socialist friends of mine to more a pro-liberty stance within 
the last two months. And I actually got them to be in my New Jersey network. But the case I, is hold, that- hold on. First of all, I, I we need to write a book. Like or or you need to write <laughs> a book, like just like talk it into a speaker. Maybe I'll type it out or something. But so keep going. You have three steps. I love this. Go ahead. Yeah, I have three steps. So one, you form a conversation and you basically talk about like say, okay, let's talk about the lockdown. So say like, hey, how are you doing? And then you're going to talk about how you feel about the lockdown. So we'll say, doesn't this just suck that we're at home all the time and we're literally staring at a computer screen? And then usually nobody likes us. So they would say, yeah. And I'm like, well, you can blame the government for that because they enforced this. They enforced the lockdowns. They enforced everybody to lose your jobs and go hungry. And then they'd be like, but that makes no sense. It's not the government. It's literally just because of the virus. And I'm like, it's not just because of the virus. It's because of mass government control. And the fact right. that New Jersey is one of the most regulated states in the country. Mm. And I begin to educate them like this. And they try to understand. They're like, you don't know what you're talking about. And I do because I bring up the New Jersey Constitution. I bring up the Constitution, the United States Constitution. I educate them with books and resources. And I show them videos. Mm. And that is how you educate people from you tell them that, OK, you ask them, OK, so name a country in which socialism has worked. And then they'll stutter. And and, I'm, and I would say, OK, I'm waiting. And they'd say, oh, Sweden. I'll be like, no, Sweden is like somewhat a democratic socialist type of country, but they are not socialism entirely. Right. And so when you tr instead of like calling them stupid or like, you know, threatening to throw them out of helicopters like the stupid libertarians on Twitter. You need to <laughs> <laughs> you need to educate them. Yes. Yeah. So e even with the education, they're still going to push back, right? So is it just a matter of consistency? Is that what it is? Not only consistency, but to inspire them and to show them that because so many socialists that I have seen and, I, and I've been friends with, they all have this type of anger in their heart against the two-party system. So let me tell you something. Socialists and libertarians share one common thing, and that is we hate the two-party system. Mm. And yeah. usually a lot of socialists are actually non-interventionists. I was I have been a non-interventionist my entire like political like um I mean from the beginning of 2018, I've been a non-interventionist. And mm. they share that trait with libertarians. So when you start building that hatred for the two-party system. You're like, well, that's the wrong way. So come here. And then we and then we'll like tell them that, OK, so your education will be much cheaper if you get the government out of the education system. Yeah. If yeah. we improvise on providing school choice to families and to and to all the people, then you wouldn't have to worry about free college. And then they'd be like, well, well we all want free college because people can't afford it. And I'm like, because the government regulates it. If the government regulates something. They can either they can either put up the price or they can bring down the price, but most likely they will put up the price in order to fund for stupid programs in the United States. Yeah. So that's how you educate them. And if they try to push back, then you bring up another argument stating that, well, with whose money are you going to pay for free college? Who's going to pay for that? Nobody's going to pay for that. Yeah. You, it's just a matter of winning. And then eventually one gets tired and be like, okay, leave me alone. But then <laughs> when you make enough points, they, they always come back to me. They're like, Sarah, you kind of make a little bit more sense. And I'll be like, good. Now watch this video. And yeah. usually I show them a Ron Paul video about the war on drugs because socialists 
agree with us on the war of drugs usually yeah and then they'll be like oh my god we actually have a lot in common so why don't i look at this side that's how you get them yeah i i think the you, you're spot on there i i, I think a lot of people <clears throat> the vast majority of people want the same thing right um I think where we disagree or or kind of where we find conflict is, you know, when we're hashing out what it looks like to actually get there. Um, and so I, I have this big like my, the one thing that brought me to libertarianism was the, the law of unintended consequences. OK, this idea that you can have the best the best intentions in mind, but still muck it all up. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and. and just the the idea that government the process of government is so flawed and inefficient that it literally needs to be the last option like seriously like you need to try everything else before you turn to the government the problem is that we've kind of like flipped that on its head and nowadays it's almost like everything we go to the government first because we think it's the path of least resistance um and I, I love the fact that you're kind of using these, you know, th these personal experiences that the the other folks that you're talking to in, in your circle are coming up against, because that's the perfect way to do it. Like you talk about these things and they say, well, what about this? Um, the key as a libertarian or someone who is liberty minded is you have to understand, you almost have to anticipate like where they're going to come from. Right. So if they're going to come from the standpoint of like, well, oh, well, this would have been a better scenario. You have to be able to lay out the reasons why, like either one, it wasn't a better scenario or two, why, you know, what you gained, the value proposition wasn't there because you gave up so much more. Right. So a perfect example is say the worst case scenario was, you know, we lose X number of lives to COVID. Okay. What's the worst case scenario of how many lives we lose to, you know, depression and suicide to people that are not getting elective procedures that are technically screenings for cancer and heart disease or even treating those situations? Um, you know, as soon as you start having that conversation, you know, at the beginning of COVID, it was all like we need to do everything we can to save every single life. And the conversation at the beginning of COVID needed to be, well, yeah, but. Have you ever thought about the fact that you're saving this life at the expense of this life? And I don't think anyone or, or not very many people were having that conversation. It was all about, you know, if one person shows up on the COVID death rule, death rolls, that's too many. Um, and you're like, well, yeah, but there's a bigger picture. Like how many total people are dying? Right. Um, I, I, and that's a very deep conversation and it's tough to have. Uh, I love the fact that you're drawing parallels to, you know, their daily life and kind of what they're going through. Um, do, do you think we're winning <laughs> or, or, or do you think that there is still, you know, just a superior marketing machine on the other side of this that's that's still kind of like outpacing us? I would say we are winning state statewide and locally. But the problem is that there has been an emergence with socialism against like libertarianism, conservatism. But the problem is the GOP will never beat like the upcoming socialists 
until we actually work together in order to defeat them. Because face it, it doesn't matter if you're a neocon or a napcon or or just a typical bigger Republican or a libertarian. We all have a common enemy, and that is socialism. Because face it, we all love our free markets and we all love this country. We can't let the socialists destroy this country. But the problem is, is that it is incredibly hard to beat them until we can't reform the GOP itself. And that's where I come in because I am not, I'll be honest with you, I'm not an LPR at all. I am literally, I'm a Republican, but I'm also like a small libertarian, if that makes sense. So like kind of like the Rand Paul, Ron Paul libertarian, that's me. So I work with the GOP only because I see more of a bigger advantage, not only to reform the party, but to beat socialism within that party. And if they honestly allow us to work with them in order to bring up new ideas such as legalizing marijuana and to also like and to also like fundamentally bring criminal justice reform which was which also started in the GOP this year with President Donald Trump they cannot win without us and we need to work together in order to beat them yeah i i appreciate that um I, I I come at it, I don't come at it from a different angle. I just call it a little bit different. Okay. I, I can understand where you're coming at it from kind of combating the the socialism or socialist kind of, you know, perspective, because that's probably the predominant thing that you're coming up against with the the your peer group, right? Like the majority of them are kind of probably identifying with Bernie, with AOC, with Ilhan Omar and, and other people that look like them or their age, right? Like the ones that you're, you're kind of trying to bring to, to bring some religion to, so to speak. Right. Um, I I'm, I'm a little bit more wider sweeping with it where I say like, let's fight authoritarianism just like in general. And what's tough is the, the Democrats tried to co-opt that word when they're facing Donald Trump, because they want everyone to look at him as, a, as if he's a fascist, right? And they kept using the words fascist and authoritarian almost interchangeably. And most of us that are like on the, the big L libertarian side, okay, are going, you're, you're right, okay, but at the same time, you're using a different word for exactly the same thing that you're doing, right? Like, you are authoritarian as well. Rhinos are authoritarian because they practice appeasement, right? Rhinos are authoritarian because they decide that they need to uh, make a deal with the devil and basically sell out their core beliefs in order to get something done. Um, Democrats, centrist Democrats are authoritarian uh, in a corporatist way because they're basically bought and sold on the daily, depending on how the wind blows and who writes the biggest check. And then the democratic socialists or the more progressives are authoritarian because they believe the state does a better job of regulating equality than free market competition, right? So we come at it from the same way. And I appreciate the fact that you're calling it what you need to call it because your demographic is probably associating that word with the juxtaposition of what you're at. Um, but I agree with you. I think the the infighting, like me personally, I know you're probably connected with Austin Peterson, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, oh, God. The, so there's infighting amongst libertarians to be like, well, is Austin Peterson a, a libertarian or is he just a, you know, kind of like a, a Republican who says he's a libertarian? I, 
from my to my extent, like I, I really don't care. And I've been openly critical of him on Twitter and I've gave given him crap. But you know what? It's because it's Twitter and pretty much everyone gives everyone crap on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. If if you form your world opinion or your life opinion based off of what happens on Twitter, get off of Twitter, okay? Because <laughs> there are all kinds of like Twitter is just mayhem. But that being said, at the end of the day, I would rather there be more Austin Petersons because He's coming at it at least from a liberty mindset, right? I I appreciate that. I can be both critical of Rand Paul and also supportive of him, right, in in certain contexts. Um, So they're not the end. Like someone who is like more of a libertarian-leaning Republican is not the enemy to someone who identifies as a, a big L libertarian, right? That's not the enemy. The enemy is someone who thinks that the state needs to control every aspect of life and they know better. That's who the enemy is, right? So at the end of the day, what I appreciate about Yal is it's truly the common ground, right? It's it's truly that um, that you know crossover between those two very common belief systems where there's more that we share in common than than we you know don't agree on. Um, and so I, I think that's a message to anyone who identify themselves as, you know, a big L libertarian or even a libertarian leaning Republican that watches this. Know that, like, we're both fighting the same fight. There's some small differences between us. But at the end of the day, you know, it's the same thing as you're probably familiar with, like, the difference between someone who identifies as libertarian and someone who's like a, a uh, an ANCAP. Right. Like. <laughs> The, the, okay, so the, there's some nuanced differences there, or maybe even not even nuanced differences. I mean, there might be some big differences, but the one thing I tell them is like, look, let's shrink government by 95%, and then you and I can fight over the last five, right? Like, I would rather that be the case than both of us not be able to shrink government at all, and, you know, us trying to take the moral high ground with who is more, you know, ANCAP or who is more libertarian, Um so I, I think that's a good message to kind of put out there. Um, all right. So I've I've basically taken an hour and 15 minutes of your life. I, I appreciate it. I want to say thank you very much um, and and helping to give some more people some insight into YAL and, and the leadership training. Um, do you have any like final parting thoughts in terms of just YAL? How can people get involved, uh, you know, in YAL or, or at the very least kind of get informed about what's going on there? Well, we have right now, um, well, right now we are actually phone banking for a candidate in Texas. Her name is Shelly Luther. She is a liberty-minded candidate that is actually a salon owner. And so mm-hmm. her salon was closed down due to, like, um, due to, like, the tech, due to, like, the state government in Texas. And so she is a liberty fighter, and she's fighting for small businesses in Texas. So right now we are phone banking for her. We actually begin phone banking tomorrow in order to help her like win the election. And so we have a lot of volunteer offices. We also have operate. Yeah. We also have operation win at the door, which is like we hire college students who are election coordinators and they basically knock doors for these candidates. And we're going to need a lot of that in, especially New Jersey and Virginia. Virginia is also going to have an off year election cycle. And the, the way we could get the way people can get involved in YAL is by joining as a dues paying member. A dues paying member is like someone who basically joins YAL as a yearly member. Like they pay they pay like ten dollars a year and they join YAL and they are basically surrounded by people who are like minded to them and join the community and get involved. 
And so that's the job of us state chairs. We help recruit these people into Yale. And we basically, we don't charge them for just, you know, $10, but we charge, but we basically, we basically empower them. And we basically teach them about the principles of liberty and freedom within the state and local politics. And we, and this happens usually within the college, like student, like um, organizations. And this also happens within the community. So it's welcome. It's welcome to anybody who's, who's like even a high schooler. I have some high schoolers and all the way up to like, you know, it doesn't matter. There's no age limit. Awesome. Yeah. So really quickly, I'm going to share this as well. Um, (laughs) If I can pick the correct tab that I'm looking at, this is the overview for operation win at the door. Um, So if you go to uh, yaliberty.org slash door, this will come up. This will kind of give you a little bit of an insight into what operation win at the door is. I would highly recommend whether or not you're a Republican Um, a libertarian, an independent, even a Democrat who is like, you know, on the libertarian, on the liberty side or the libertarian side of being a Democrat, you need to know what Operation Win at the Door is. And you also need to, uh, this is, uh, again, highlighting the 179 victories I think Yal has had uh, so far, but you need to find out about what they have as far as resources. Um, You know, Yal is providing a, a, uh, not a platform, but they're providing um, such a huge value add. If you're curious about running or if you're running and you need something to take you over the top in your race, that's a winnable race. If you are liberty minded, you need to find out about it. I even forget how the heck did I get signed up for the liberty, for the, the, um, the leadership training? Um, (laughs) What the heck was the link? I can't even remember where the heck it was. Um, LCA, I think it was like um, yal.org slash um, Liberty Candidate Academy. And it was a form that you have to fill out. Hold on. I'm typing yaliberty.org uh, slash, what was it? Liberty it's- Candidate Academy. Hold on. This might be like a huge flop in terms of me not being able to find it. You know what? I should have it like in my history, but let's see. Uh, Leadership Institute. I have the announcements from the Leadership Institute. Here's what I'll do. When this is uh, recorded and put up on YouTube, I (laughs) share the link down below down below um, for signing up for the the Liberty Academy. That is a huge resource. Again, regardless, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, Democrat, huge resource that you should take advantage of. If you can make it to one of those, you should. Those 18 steps are solid. Uh, They're money. Like they they are, and, and you don't have to pay for it. That's the other thing. It is completely covered by the donors that donate to YAL and take care of that program. So it is um, a free training to get you in the door, to get you the resources and the training that you need to be able to start running a campaign that's you know got a shot at winning. So just pay attention to that. Look, I want to thank you, Sarah. I appreciate uh, all your time. I know it's precious. Um, again, reminder to everyone, if you've made it this far, if you're watching the recorded version, please like, comment, subscribe, and share. Um, and definitely get in touch with Yal or follow them and, and what they're putting together. Uh, have a good night. We're, we're going to have to, we're going to have to put together something live stream of, you know, 
Among Us or or something else that's kind of like in vogue to get some Liberty people out there playing some video games online. Yes, we do. And we also have to work on building the New Jersey Coalition. <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. <laughs> All right. We're going to also have to do this again sometime. I'm going to have to get you back because uh, I want to see, I, I want to find out where you end up too. So uh, I definitely want to follow your progress through this, uh, through this period. But um, I appreciate it, Sarah, everyone who uh, watched or isn't or is watching. Thank you very much. Have a good night. And we'll see you next week on a regular time, Tuesday at 5 PM. Have a good one, everyone. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you again for tuning in. This is a quick reminder to subscribe, like, share, and comment to help get the message of liberty and freedom in front of as many folks as possible. See you next time on Why Libertarian. Why Libertarian.